All right, folks, what I'd like you to do, we're not going to get go into our service uh, message today back in Colossians. Because it's Palm Sunday, I wanted to reflect on Palm Sunday today and uh, actually reflect on the whole week. So I'd like you, you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8, okay? Luke chapter 8, uh, we're going to focus on one of the parables, but I, I, I actually, when you look at Luke, you can... Hold your finger in Luke chapter 8. I want you, we're going to look at a couple of passages. It'll be up on the screen here in a second. Because I actually am amazed when I read about this week. So this is, the, this is Palm Sunday. So historically, what has happened is, is on the week of Passion or the Holy Week, so many centuries ago, almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus entered into Jerusalem on a donkey, and the multitudes were excited. They cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They, they spread palm branches. They didn't just wave them. I know we like to do that in church sometimes, to have the little ones wave palm branches. They, they spread their, their, their cloaks on the ground so that the donkey wouldn't walk on the ground, but walk on their cloaks as he entered into Jerusalem. And of course we know well, let's, let's read about it. Notice with me on the screen. It's from chapter 19, verse 35 through 40. So they brought him to Jesus. That's talking about the donkey. And they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for the mighty works that they had seen. Saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now that's, that happened on P Palm Sunday, just close to 2,000 years ago. Now what amazes me is not that they did this. And the text tells you why they did it. Because of the mighty works that Jesus had done. Did you notice that was in the text? The, the mighty works that Jesus had done, they're praising him. Wow, the Messiah is coming. Awesome. Okay, let's fast forward to Friday. Now notice the crowd. Look at what it says now in Luke 23. Luke 23, we're going to look at verses 13 through 23. Then Pilate, who he had called together, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, said to them, you have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I found no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. Neither... Did, no, neither did Herod, for I sent you back to him, and indeed nothing deserving of death has been, has been done by him. I will therefore chastise him and release him, for it is necessary for him to release one to them at the feast. 
And they all cried out at once, saying, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city and for murder. Pilate, therefore, wishing to release Jesus, again called out to them, but they shouted, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Then he said to them the third time, Why, what evil has he done? I have found no reason for death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. Give me the next verse there. Um, But they were insistent, demanding with a loud voice that he be crucified. And the voices of these men and the chief priests prevailed. All right, now, did you guys see something here? Just five days before that, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were awestruck of the things he had done. Now, here we are at the end of the week. Give us Barabbas. Now, who's Barabbas? Barabbas was what they would call today a freedom fighter, an insurgent, a murderer. But he was there imprisoned because he was caught in a rebellion. A rebellion against who? The Romans. Do you understand what's going on here? They wanted a Messiah who would take care of things for them. They wanted someone from God to eliminate the problems and set everything right. But here's the problem. Jesus didn't do that. So guess what? We don't need Jesus anymore. Give us the guy who'll do that. Now, the interesting thing, as we're shocked at this, and it is shocking. Isn't it shocking to you that they would be that way? Well, the interesting thing is, is now let's go back to Luke chapter 8. Told you to hold your finger there. Go back to Luke chapter 8. Jesus told us that this would happen. Because Jesus, with one parable told us about the inconsistencies of human being. So here's a couple things I want to make mention of before we look at this. First of all, the fickleness of people is very evident in the life of Jesus. All you have to do is read the Gospels. You can choose any Gospel. you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or read all four Gospels. When you read the Gospels, especially if you come to the Gospel of John, you'll find that there's this great multitude that that was following him, and the reason why they were following him is because Jesus was doing the stuff that they wanted. If they were sick, he was healing them. If they were hungry, he was feeding them. And so when they had full bellies and they were healthy because they'd come to Jesus and he healed them of all their sicknesses and their diseases and cast out demons, they were like, yeah, this is Jesus. Let's make him a king. The passage will tell you they wanted to make him a king. But he didn't do that. He left them. But then Jesus started telling them the real reasons why he was there. And then he started telling them about what he wanted from them. He would say, and John is, you eat my flesh and, and drink my blood. And they're like, what? I mean, for a Jew, that was like unbelievable. What, what is this? And they left him. Because he was asking something of them. See, this is the thing. 
people are pretty fickle. As long as everything's going their way, we'll support you. But the moment it doesn't go our way, then away with you. It's still happening today, folks. Still happening today. So, but here's the thing. The same people who welcomed him will also turn on him. That's still happening today. Same people who welcome him will turn on them. Listen, you know what? I've been pastoring. Okay, so April 1st, this week, I will be the pastor here 20 years. 20th anniversary is April 1st. That in itself is a story. I started, somebody thought I was a fool because I started on April's Fool's Day. Okay, I remember our neighbor saying, we'll only be here six months. Well, I've been here 20 years, okay? Listen, I've seen a lot of people come and go, whether it's here or another church or in Christianity in general. And here's what I'm going to tell you. People have different reasons for coming. Some of them are genuine. They want to follow Jesus. They want Jesus to be a part of their lives. But I've seen some, they wanted Jesus for the moment, for, for something else. And when that didn't happen, they walked away from the faith. Uh, they, they walked away from Jesus and went somewhere else. In fact, that's happening all over our country right now. In fact, they have a term for it. It's called deconstruction. Okay? Maybe you've heard that. But see, Jesus anticipated that. He anticipated the fickleness of people. How do you know that, George? Well, let's take a look at this parable. It's called the parable of the sower. And we're going to talk today about responding to Jesus. So I want you to notice with me, it'll be up on your screen. We're going to be looking at verses 5 through 15 in Luke chapter 8. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus is the one who says, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. Some fell by among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up, and sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up and yielded a crop a hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now that kind of statement is made throughout the scripture. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's, it's, it's kind of telling you to ponder, to think about what's being said. Okay, so here's what happens. Then the disciples asked him, saying, what does this parable mean? And he said, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to the rest it is given in parables, that seeing they may not see, hearing they may not understand. Now this is now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. And those by the wayside are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their heart, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those, when they hear it, receive the word with joy, 
And these have no root, who believe for a while, and in time of temptation fall away. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they had heard, go out and are choked with the cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with noble, with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Now here's what we're going to do, folks. We're going to look at this passage and we're going to consider four responses. And actually, as I go through this, you're probably going to be thinking, yeah, I've seen somebody respond that way. Yeah, that makes sense. Now I understand. And here's the thing. When, when this week of passion would come where Jesus enters in triumphantly and everybody's like, woo, Jesus. And then at the end of the week, crucify him. He wasn't standing there blown away. Like, how could they do that? He understood exactly why they did it. Because as many times in the scripture it says, he knew their hearts. He knew where they were at. So let's take a look. We're going to look at the first one. We're going to look at it. We're going to look at verse 12. Look with me. We're going to see the first response. We see this response all around us. You've probably experienced this response. He said, those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. Now, the first one is this. There are many who choose, there are many who choose not to believe. There are many who choose not to believe. Here's the thing. Can I be honest with you? I recognize this. Oftentimes in Christianity, we believe that if we just give people enough information, if we just present it to them enough, if we just give them enough proof about the existence of God or about the existence of creation, or if we do all of this, that they'll, their eyes will open up and boom, they'll get saved. I'm going to tell you right now, that is not possible. Why? Because here's the reality. You can present all of that and they don't care. Why? Because they have chosen not to believe. Here he's talking about a type of soil where, where the, 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 the seed is sown, the word is sown, but the people don't get it. It's, it's, it's stony ground. They, they don't want to get it. Why? Well, here's the second point I want you to see. They have been blinded by Satan. They don't see because Satan's not allowing them to see. In fact, Paul tells us about this. Look, look on the screen with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 4. Here's, here's what he says. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. He, you know, the, he, Paul, in his passage here in Corinthians, is answering answering somebody's accusation that we're keeping the gospel from people so they don't believe. No, no, he's saying our gospel is not veiled. It's not hidden. The reason why people aren't responding to it is not because you don't have the right words to say or you didn't have enough proof. The reason why is the God of this world, who is Satan, by folks, by the way, this thing about selling your soul to Satan, baloney. Everybody belongs to Satan who doesn't belong to Jesus. 
You don't sell your soul to him. You already belong to him. The God of this world has blinded him, and that's exactly what Jesus was saying in this parable. He has blinded them, and they choose not to believe. So, okay, so when we look at the Passover day, excuse me, when we look at the Palm Sunday triumphant entry all the way to the point of Jesus being crucified, we can see that automatically in the passage. Why? The chief priests and the elders and the Pharisees saying, crucify him. Why? They chose not to believe. They chose not to believe. That's the first response. You see it around you. I think we've all experienced that, right? You have talked with people so many times and they just don't see it, right? And you thought it was you. And you thought it was you. Well, if I only knew what George knew, if I only answered their question. No, they choose not to believe. Here's the second thing I want you to second response. Notice with me, verse 13. He says, but the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, who believe for a while and in time of temptation, or it could be trial, translated there, fall away. Here's the second response I want you to see. Some embrace Jesus, but turn away when difficulties overwhelm them. Some embrace Jesus. They hear and they're like, oh yeah, I'm excited about Jesus. And, and we've seen this, okay? We, we've, we've seen that, man, we, are, we want Jesus and we want what's excited about him. And here's the problem. We like to tell people when they come to Christ, I mean, it's a true statement, but it, you have to think about what you're saying. Everything will be okay. Well, you know what? I've been a Christian since 1985. Everything doesn't turn out okay. Do you understand what I'm saying? Stuff still happens. Stuff that you don't want to have happens. But it's, if I got Jesus, it's supposed to turn out okay. No, not necessarily. And so what happens is, is some folks, they come for the moment, they hear, they're all excited, and as soon as the pressure turns on and stuff starts going wrong, they're out of here. And that's exactly what's going on with this story that we're talking about today. Jesus coming in and triumphant on Palm Sunday. Jesus being crucified. They wanted Jesus, the Messiah. This is the guy who raises the dead, who heals, who can feed us. He can speak the word and take care of the Romans. And guess what? Now he's standing before us in the chains of the Romans. We want the other guy. We want Barabbas. Because he can handle it. Give us him. He'll carry on the fight. This guy isn't doing anything for us. And so some embrace Jesus, but turn away when the difficulties overwhelm them. You know what I'm talking about? You've met people like this as well. They get overwhelmed by the stuff that's going on. And, and I've met lots of folks. And folks, if you talk to them, here's what's going on. They're mad at God. You ever met somebody mad at God? You ever met somebody who's mad at God? And when you check with them about why they're mad with God, I can almost guarantee you, almost most of the time, 
It's because God didn't turn up and do something when they, quote, prayed and asked him to do it. That's the second response. Look at the third response now. Okay, third response, verse 14. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. Here's, here's the next point I want you to see, the next response. Some embrace Jesus but turn away when they are consumed with the world. This one blows my mind. This one blows my mind because I, I've known people through the years that they, they'll respond to Jesus and they'll be active and they'll be a part, but then success takes over in their life. Everything starts going their way. God, quote, blesses them or life blesses them. Their bank account gets bigger and their obligations get more and, and their ambitions be begin to materialize. And what happens is, is that stuff becomes the priority now. The riches and the pleasures and the cares of life become the priority so much so that that squeezes out God from their life. It's interesting, there's a proverb that says, Lord, give me what I need, no more, no less. Give me what I need, lest if I didn't have, I would dishonor you by stealing. Or if I have much, I forget you. These folks forget God because they have everything. And we've seen those folks too, right? They're a part of our lives. At one time, they were loving the Lord and wanted him, but then, you know what? Life gave them everything they wanted, and they want more. And that just drives them away from the Lord. That's the third response. But there is the fourth response. Let's look at the fourth response. Hopefully, this is reflective of you and I together. Look with me at the fourth response. We see this. Oh, by the way, just real quick so you understand. We say, well, these folks have to be saved, George. I can understand the first one, they choose not to believe. The second one, they have to be there. No, listen to what 1 John says. It'll be up on your screen. 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For had they been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest, that none of them were of us. The fact that they left, whether it's because they were mad at God because he didn't handle the stuff that they wanted to him to handle and they were upset with the Lord because of the difficulties they were struggling in or they just forgot about him because they were going after what life had and life was blessing them. The reality, John says, they weren't really of us. They weren't really believers because had they been believers, they would have never left. So let's talk about the fourth response. Here's the fourth response. I want you to notice with me verse 15. Here's what it says. Now this is what's interesting. Look at what he says here. But the ones that fell among the ground, the good ground, are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit 
with patience. Now notice that last word, patience. So here's what I want you to see. There are some who embrace Jesus and allow that faith to take root. See, here's the thing. I want you to understand something about God. God does not look at the short term with regards to the issue of faith in life. With regards to your faith and your walk with Christ. Jesus looks at the long term. Why why would you say that, George? Well, if you go over to Revelation chapter 2 and 3, there's the letters to the seven churches. There's this statement that's made at the end of every one of the letters. He says, to him who overcomes... I will give. He makes a promise to him who overcomes. Whenever you go through the book of Revelation, it's about those who overcome. And they overcame by the blood of the Lamb. It's about endurance of faith. Did you notice he used that word there? Patience. They kept the faith with patience. Patience for what? The stuff life throws at you. When the world that you want to have doesn't happen, you're still patient. Why? Because you have Jesus. And this life is just a blip. Think about that for a moment. Okay, let's, in our finite minds for a moment, comprehend eternity. Forever and ever. Can you, if, if, even if we were going to try, okay, try to visualize that so i want you to think about this top step let's 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 take this edge of this top step let's say this is eternity it's not because it just keeps on going okay where's our life with that it's a speck of dust well you know what that's even too big it's an atom no no that's too big too it's an electron or even some smaller component of life right there. That's your life. And the rest of it goes on. But that speck has an impact on the rest of it. Some who embrace Jesus allow that faith to take root in their life. So here's the second thing I want you to see. They patiently endure as their fruit produce, excuse me, their faith produces fruit in their lives. They patiently endure. Look, it's great to be an optimist. Wonderful. Being a pessimist, nah, that's not too good. But here's the thing. It's great to have hope. It's great to want something more and and expect this. But here's the thing. You have to, with the optimism, be a realist. And realism is this. That no matter what you want out of life, and no matter what you hope for, the chances are great that it won't happen. Because it's this life that is cursed. Cursed by what, George? Sin. By humanity. And that there is something better later on. And that's what our hope is in. So guess what? 
We patiently endure as the faith that we have produces what in our lives? Fruit. See, that's the response. That's the response of those who follow Jesus. That was the response of 11 of the disciples, right? Even Peter. I was thinking about Peter today. I may talk about Peter next week for Easter. Peter today. I don't know him. I mean, he just said, Jesus, I'll die for you three times. I don't know him. Guess what? What does Jesus then do? Comes to him later. Feed my sheep, Peter. Why? Jesus, you know everything about me. He has faith. So let me wrap this up for you, okay? And then we're going to go to the table. Here's my thought for you. You have to choose how you're going to respond to Jesus. You have to choose how you are going to respond to Jesus. Now, the reality is that some will just flat out choose not to believe. It doesn't matter if Jesus walked in here immediately and, and was physically in prayer. Well, then they would believe. No, not necessarily. Folks, Jesus was among them and they crucified him. Listen, greatest miracle ever in the, in, in, in the Gospel of John, the raising of Lazarus. You know what's amazing? You go a couple of chapters later and they say that the Pharisees and the high priests were trying to kill not just Jesus, but Lazarus. Like, do you think Lazarus is worried about dying now? Why would they do that? Because even though there they see the greatest miracle, somebody in the ground three days and boom, raised up, they still choose not to believe. Now, that's the reality. But for the rest of us, why are you here? Why are you embracing Jesus? And I'll be honest with you, time will tell where you're really at. Why? Because with time, life exposes your motives. And for some, we've seen it. The difficulties come, that's it. Jesus wasn't there for me, and they're gone. For some, they get distracted by the stuff of this world. That becomes their God. But then for others, they embrace by faith. And they patiently endure waiting. Waiting, like we talked about last week. Remember the last week when we talked? We talked about that we have yet to know who we truly are because everything is hidden in Christ. And one day, we, when he appears, we will be who we truly are in glory. Isn't that awesome? But in the meantime, we patiently endure. You have to choose how you're going to respond. Something for you to think about. Let me pray for you.